0: Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman, and through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. If you are a long-time listener to the Integrative Thoughts podcast, you know how often I stress the importance of detoxification. I believe that heavy metals such as mercury and aluminum, along with environmental pollutants like mold, plastics, and pesticides, are at the root cause of every dysfunction and chronic illness in the modern era. That's why I recommend ZeoCharge. ZeoCharge is a 100% natural zeolite that does not contain any fillers, binders, or additives. ZeoCharge has not been shown to bind to any of your beneficial minerals or other nutrients. I take two tablespoons of Zeocharge with filtered water every single day about an hour after breakfast. It is my go-to for detoxification support that I believe can assist any and every healing protocol on the market. If you would like to try out Zeocharge, go to the link in my show notes and use code ITP for 10% off your entire order. So listen, I've been experimenting with different types of minerals, especially magnesium for the past five to six years. But I could never really find a product that I could feel the benefits that magnesium claimed to give. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all of human health. It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, yet over 80% of the population is deficient. Magnesium deficiency can increase risk for all disease and greatly decrease optimal performance. That's why I like bi-optimizers. They use all seven forms of magnesium in a highly bioavailable form in their product Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium helps with stress, anxiety, sleep, immune function, detoxification, and so much more. If you want to try out this product, head over to buy optimizers and use code INTEGRATIVETHOUGHTS10 to receive a 10% discount on their amazing product Mag Breakthrough today's show is also brought to you by valence nutraceuticals yes this is the supplement company that i started with a few partners absolutely having an amazing time with it can't wait to bring some of the most superior mineral and vitamin supplements on the market to you One product that I wanna highlight today is Zinc Matrix Pro. Now this is a zinc blend with five of our favorite forms in there. We have zinc carnosine in there, zinc orotate, zinc methionine sulfate, zinc picolinate, and also zinc glycinate. Now this is gonna have superior bioavailability and works systemically throughout the body. When we're reading hair tissue mineral analysis charts, one of the most common deficiencies that we see, or maybe the most common is a zinc deficiency. People need so much zinc in order to detoxify nowadays and to balance out the body. So if you want to try out our zinc matrix pro or any of our other products over at valence nutraceuticals, click the link in the show notes and use code ITP20. And that'll get you 20% off your first order. Now, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know that I have struggled with mold toxicity, heavy metal toxicity, chronic infections such as Lyme disease, Epstein Barr, and even Babesia. After spending about $100,000 on functional labs, protocols, fringe supplements, coffee enemas, and even biohacking devices, I finally found mineral balancing. This has been the most effective protocol that I have found to address chronic issues. This is a specific program using hair tissue mineral analysis in order to reverse engineer the entire mineral system all at once and detoxify the body of hidden infections, mold, and heavy metals. If you would like to schedule a consultation with me to design you a program, I have officially opened my books to take on mineral balancing clients. Click the link in the show notes under work with me to find out more. Today's guest is Dr. Dylan Petkiss, and he's overcome his own struggles with severe sleep apnea, and that's all about what the show is today, all about sleep apnea and the CPAP machine. A little bit about circadian rhythm and grounding as well, as that'll help affect your sleep cycles. But we get into all the nuances around whether or not someone should use a CPAP machine, how they should change their diet and lifestyle to sort of wean off the CPAP machine. What are the risks associated with long-term use of a CPAP machine? And in my opinion, you should be trying to better yourself, get healthier so that you can slowly wean off of that CPAP machine so that you're not hooked to it forever. So if you know anybody with sleep apnea, this is really the show that you need to send them, share it. There's a lot of people dealing with sleep apnea, so enjoy. Dylan, welcome to the show. How's it going?
1: It's going well. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm here kind of in my makeshift office. I just uh, moved, so I still... I have like, stuff kind of everywhere in my condo, so it's getting adjusted, but we're here. We're going keep to the, keep the show going. Um, so yeah, I've uh, been following you for a while. Uh, you have some really cool content on Instagram and YouTube and stuff. Um, I want Before we get into what we're going to talk about today, I figured you might as well give the listeners a little bit of a background and uh, what got you interested in some of the topics we'll talk about today.
1: Yeah, yeah. So my parents met about 40 years ago. we we're probably need to go that far back, but more... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry I like to joke <laughs> uh, yeah so my background uh, medical doctor training in family medicine um, but more of a focus for, for me personally and also with you know the, the people that I help uh, you know sleep being a big big factor uh, focusing more so on sleep apnea and being able to take a different approach for them because I've gone through that issue myself you know had a learn different ways because a lot of the options aren't that great uh so diving into a lot of pieces around mitochondria circadian rhythms and other things that have weird combination of syllables and sound scientific uh all very helpful um and just really applying that over the years to help people sleep well and uh, not drink as much coffee (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, that's always a, a great move to try to reduce the stimulants there. Um, So, it sounds like you had some issues with sleep apnea yourself. And I mean, when I hear, I only know like one person who's like used a CPAP, one of my good friends, and he always carries a lot of extra weight. Uh, it's like a childhood friend, you know. So, um I think that's like a common, you know, maybe misconception that we think that you kind of have to be obese or overweight to have sleep apnea. Um, is that the case or is that just like a kind of a stigma we have around that? I
1: think it's, I think it's a stigma. Uh, I mean, it's part stigma and part in the part of the epidemiology. But like, because if we look at the United States, about 60 percent of adults are going to be overweight or obese. And if you look at sleep apnea, around 70-80% of people with sleep apnea are Overweight or obese. Now, the degree of that overlap,
0: <laughs> you know, it,
1: that's like this. That's like saying, "Well, you have to have two eyes to be blind." Yes, you do. That, that's part of it for sure. <laughs> um, but with sleep apnea, it contributes to it. But I think it becomes stigma because uh, losing weight, telling a patient to lose weight, is almost the scapegoat of like modern medicine. Like, oh, there's all, all these weird autoimmune symptoms. Well, like you're overweight, so you should just lose weight. Like. What else we could do? Uh, There's some truth to it, for sure, because when there's an excess of weight, and I would say, if you were to pin me down on a railroad and ask me how many pounds of weight you need to be to have a big effect on sleep apnea, uh, probably somewhere in the ballpark of 40, 60 pounds overweight, because then mechanically, that starts to create a problem in terms of like extra weight on your airways, and also uh, there's a hypoventilation like you're under breathing uh at a certain point with a certain amount of weight but honestly for the most part uh, the people i'm speaking with the people i'm helping that's really not the, the biggest driver sure they might have 20 pounds overweight but like it's it's more the metabolic things that are also driving the weight issues and then the weight issues themselves
0: yeah, that makes total sense. And, you know, the more I've, I had, you know, Lyme and chronic heavy metal infections and parasites and a lot of that stuff, you know, I, I looked fine because I had a really strict diet, but, you know, my metabolic processes were so jacked up from all of the inflammation from the infections and stuff. So, I, I know very well that you don't really have to be overweight to actually get all kinds of sorts of strange symptoms. You know, I never had sleep apnea, but, you know, I was just chronic fatigue, sleep issues and all of the other things. So, I can imagine there's a lot Lot of like toxicity in the world and stuff that's a driver as well for the metabolic processes to actually work correctly. Um, why don't you explain like what what did your situation look like with sleep apnea? Did it just come out of nowhere? Was it gradual? Did you have to wear the CPAP? Tell us a little bit about your story.
1: Yeah, so uh, like most men, all of our problems come out of nowhere, but we're brewing for like
0: two years ahead of time. So, um, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um Uh,
1: and and especially because i I was younger i was in my mid-20s uh when it started to happen and the answer to everything when you're in your mid-20s is like we said at the beginning just more coffee just you know just come on
0: (laughs) i was taking adderall i was doing whatever whatever was necessary
1: (laughs) (laughs) i went on the extreme on on caffeine i think um i think i was hitting about two to three grams of caffeine per day oh wow yeah yeah like that's insane And beverage, it's a lot. I, I just went with one and went and went hard. I, I, diversity and, and stimulants. I
0: diversity. <laughs> you just pick one and go as uh, hard as you know. can. I get it.
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, also mid twenties is the cheapest one, arguably.
0: Yeah. But, um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, my sleep just started to really deteriorate. Where at first it was, it was like, well, why am I, why am I waking up? Okay, whatever, just kind of push through the day. Uh, but then when you have like a string of nights for weeks on end where it's like, wake up at like ten. 11 midnight 1 2 a.m why is my heart pounding when i wake up here why Mm -hmm. and like why like this massive amount of brain fog this headache uh kind of like if (coughs) you ever experienced it where um like sometimes you're aware you're short of breath sometimes you're not but just like something kind of startles you uh and even to the point where i i had this recurring dream that i was a don't laugh too hard, but I, I was a sardine trapped in a can, and I would pop open. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's, that was weird. Um, but that just became, like, a, an issue to the point where I was like, okay, uh, I should get this checked out, and basically then, uh, back then, like, at-home sleep studies weren't as big as they are now, so I had to go to a lab, which is really fun. Like, you put electrodes on your head, you're, you know, have, you're breathing into a tube, you uh, and then you're told to sleep normally, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the re- results of that were like, hey, you have moderate sleep apnea, which at the time didn't make sense because I was um, in pretty good shape and like not overweight, mid um, twenties, no like obvious anatomical issues. Because um, you know whether you go to an like, uh, ear, nose, and throat doctor, ENT, they'll kind of look around and be like, yeah, you don't have anything super obvious. Uh, but that doesn't really stop them from offering to take their tonsils out. Cause why not? Uh, and it, it was kind of left in the void. And uh, this is not the standard sort of practice. But the the guy was like, "Hey, t- t- take the CPAP home for the night." And I'm like, at the time, it it made, it made perfect sense. But now, like, that's clearly not. <laughs> <like interesting laughs> now. You need like a you need like a court order to get one nowadays. Uh, but I took it home, and it was just like. It's like such a hassle. Made things like way worse. Um, and again, being mid twenties male, you only try. You only have to try something once, or you're just like screw this. Um, and that's when I, you know, really start to dive deeper and go, Okay, like why is this happening? Because it's not the standard profile. I'm not going to get surgery uh, whether to remove something out of my airways. Uh, saw a dentist. The options were like, well, we can crack your jaw and but no, nah, no, nah. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> uh, and, and just really had to, to dive deeper on that one for myself. That's where I kind of started the, the exploration phase and getting more into the, the metabolic side of it.
0: Yeah. Um, so it sounds like you just tried the CPAP once, but is that pretty standard? You know, it sound, you said, sounded like it's harder to get now maybe than it used to be. I didn't even know about that. But yeah. Um, so do, is that generally what they are recommending? If you just go to like Western medicine, someone who's not really focused on metabolics or diet, are they just recommending CPAP?
1: Yeah. So it's, a, it's an easy thing. So like okay, maybe I tried a few nights in a, in a period of once. That's right. But it just always made things worse. But that that's going to be the – I almost don't even want to say protocols. It's the algorithm, right? You have this. Let's try this right here. Uh, that, that's going to be like the standard approach, but when like, that's just like all people really know about sleep apnea because it's, it's not always a sleep medicine doctor, like who's board certified in sleep medicine that's always handling that, right? Because when you have a sleep problem, most people who have a primary care doctor, GP, whatever you want to call it, family medicine, like whatever who you're seeing, that's, that's your frontline person on it, Right. And, you know, just, I think maybe we had one presentation on sleep in medical school. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And then the only other exposure to uh, sleep medicine you really get is honestly uh, either for critical care in the ICU, when like people are not able to breathe in their, under their own power and get put on a CPAP or BiPAP at night, uh, or on the floors. someone has like COPD, which is a Pulmonary disease, very hard to breathe. They'll get on a CPAP or BiPAP. But in terms of the more chronic care, yeah, it's it, it's like a, you know, it, it's just one of those very reflexive things. Oh, sleep apnea, CPAP. That's just like the the default sort of audible there.
0: So um, I, I know my. I've just only seen my one buddy CPAP. It's do you just you're like hooking yourself up. And it's, it's actually like giving you oxygen, correct? And then it's also tracking your sleep in a way. I don't know how how effective it is, but when I don't know if I'm going to talk to him. I would say, I don't think you like should be on a CPAP. That, is, that sounds a little bit intrusive, even though I didn't know much about it um, before like researching the show. But I just kind of like naturally thought that that was probably not the most effective way to sleep. Um, and then it sounds like it tracks your sleep as well. So I was like, are there any benefits to it at all? Or does it end up just being a little bit destructive over time?
1: It's better than nothing, because, I mean, when we look at sleep apnea mortality stats, um, I was just looking at this the other day, Just, you know, I just love looking at numbers in the peace of the night. But anyway, the, <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, the mortality stats in the United States, 105 people per day on average die of sleep apnea. 36 oh, wow. of them are people who suffocate at night. Not the nice, you know... You know, pass away in your sleep, you know, like suffocate. So, like, so when talking about a CPAP, it is better than doing that, obviously, because it will forcibly keep your airways open. Okay? And it's, if it, it, like, if you think of just like any other, um, a lot of more allopathic approaches, uh, and not to say like allopathic's bad for certain things, right? It's just like the allopathic's more uh, forceful, if you will Mm -hmm. Uh, because like you, you break your foot. Okay. Well, allopathically, like you're going to set that bone in the place. It's going to hurt, but it's going to, it's going to get you there. Right. So with the CPAP, yeah, it's just going to kind of blow things open. Right. And there's all different kinds like CPAP, uh, which is continuous. There's BiPAP, which kind of rides the exhales and inhales a little better. Uh, Some have oxygen included. If someone's having an issue with that, they'll actually include uh, an oxygen airflow, sort of improving the oxygen concentration that someone's breathing in and out. Um, but for the most part, the majority of it is probably what your your friend has, which is just the, the CPAP with ambient air in and out. Um, it's humidified as well, so I guess it's a little bit different than ambient air if we want to be really correct on that. Uh, but it is better than nothing, but it does come with some downsides, okay? Because uh, one, yes, you do have to strap it to your face, and whether it's going to be over... Like, kind of how I look over here, overall of this. Uh, some people go for, like, a nasal thing. Either way you cut it, this is not comfortable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not in any stretch of imagination. Uh, feels very claustrophobic uh, for many people. And um, whether it's, like, the, the plastic here, constantly along your face. Uh, you know, if you've ever gone for a run when it's really cold out, like, you, you, like, dry your mouth at all. Like, that's what happens for eight hours continuously. just kind of dries those cavities out. Uh, oral cavities. I'm not talking about uh, tooth cavities. Uh, it, it, it just creates a lot of issues there. Now, the the bigger piece, because you said brings in oxygen. Yes, it does. Um, but then the thing is, it's going to be a lot more oxygen, okay? Because oxygen is a necessary ingredient in oxidative damage, okay? And studies have shown when you look at CPAP users, you say if you were to biopsy some of the tissues in their airways, like cut it out, look at it underneath the microscope, you would find there's more oxidative damage in those tissues. Okay? So locally, it's going to cause oxidative stress. Then, metabolically, it's going to cause some stress as well, because when you just deliver oxygen constantly, it'll start to, you know, cause some issues. But, like, if we were to say, like, this is the metabolic damage from, like, you know, Suffocating at night, like going in and out of like stop breathing, then like this is going to be up here, whereas the the damage from a CPAP is going to be lower. So it's a lesser of two evils for sure, okay. But then the thing is, when you look at mortality data and morbidity data, so mortality is dying, uh, morbidity is the quality of life is a good way to think about that. Um, we we see people with sleep apnea now using CPAP really high. You know they're they're dying a lot earlier. They have worse quality of life, right? Then you have people who are on a CPAP and have sleep apnea, okay? And then beneath that are people who are you know they're not they don't have sleep apnea. They don't use a CPAP, right? So there's still an elevated risk of the the associated conditions, right? Which are going to be cardiac arrest, strokes, cancer, and diabetes even if you're still using the CPAP. And this is also if you exclude obesity and all those other things, if you take that as an independent factor out, right? So that's when you have to ask yourself, like, okay, well, what metabolically is that still causing? And it's going to be from the machine there. And also there is a there's a ceiling of the quality of sleep you can have with the CPAP. So let's say, like, normal, healthy, natural sleep. I should have brought a bunch of bar graphs today. Hmm. Uh, use my hand. Up uh but like normal natural sleep is gonna be like all the way up here, and then like you know, sleep apnea, no CPAP down here, and then obviously with the CPAP it's gonna be in the middle here, but it's still not all the way up there. Which is a shame because when you have sleep apnea, you know, it's it's never just like one isolated problem. It's gonna have a very holistic effect, and you need that sleep to really, you know, help those uh metabolic issues heal.
0: Yeah, the sleep's so important. So, using the CPAP is still going to get you a little bit of a benefit, but it sounds like long-term, obviously, the morbidity and mortality is still higher than just someone who doesn't use it at all and just gets normal good night's sleep. Is that specifically, you think, because of CPAP or because they're not addressing the underlying metabolic issues that make them use a CPAP in the first place, or that's kind of hard to sift out in the data?
1: I'll just say yes both <laughs> Yeah. Yeah because <laughs> oh, uh, the CPAP it, it's I mean some people will rave about it those are I would say the minority like 30-40% uh, the other like whether it's the irritation the thing like you move around with it if, like, if you move this way then it comes off and then it like <laughs> leaks and that wakes you up because the noise and uh, and then also just like a constant noise newer models are a little bit better but like a constant noise even if it's like not like you know waking you up, it's still going to affect your brain in a way and keep a level of activation that will reduce the depth of sleep you can get. So the noise factor. Uh, there's also going to be other factors of where. Um, I mean, we probably need a whole three hours to get into this, but like <laughs> electromagnetic fields (EMFs) around <laughs> the device, because you know whether it's. I mean, most of them are plugged into the wall. Uh, some are battery powered, less so, but either way, it's going to bring a magnetic field onto you, an electric field right to your face, especially when a lot of them have a metal coil in the tubing to help uh, dehumidify or warm up the air coming in. I mean, that's just kind of having an electrical device like we're right here for eight hours, okay? Um, And then also some of them have wireless modules because, like you mentioned, uh, it does track your sleep in a way, kind of. Not like super in-depth. It's just like, How many hours did you use this thing? Uh, What was your sleep apnea score? Um, But either way, it's going to be another So that's going to add some friction to getting a good night's sleep there. Um, And then, yeah, the, the metabolic issues, because essentially when you have sleep apnea, there's going to be a big problem in your mitochondria, okay? And your mitochondria are also responsible for producing the massive amount of melatonin you need at night to have really good, deep restorative sleep, okay? So if those are off, then, like, you know, let's say you're, you know, a happy papper, okay, which is a term nobody is using to describe people who are happy with their CPAP use, but (laughs) everyone can start to use it if you would like. Uh, But there's still going to be a deficit, like I said, that ceiling on how good sleep can be because, like, if you're having to use this machine – then that means you still have this metabolic issue, and it's still lingering
0: there. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, I've heard you kind of describe this. So I feel like this would probably be important to go over for anyone who may be listening, who's using a CPAP or know somebody. Um, There are some dangers to just kind of cutting out the CPAP cold turkey, right? And I've heard you kind of speak about kind of how to gradually come off of it. Maybe we can dive into a little bit about if someone is using a CPAP at the moment or a loved one that they know, and they may be wanting to try to cut that out. What is some, uh, I'm assuming there's probably like diet and lifestyle modification that you're doing as you're decreasing the CPAP. So let's get into some of the um, nuances of getting off the CPAP.
1: Yeah, so it's, one, something to definitely work with your prescribing healthcare provider on because, one, they're going to have the numbers, your AHI, that's their sleep (laughs) apnea score, uh, in the appropriateness of that because let's say someone's, like, really dependent. They need – because the main variable in the use of the CPAP is the pressure, the amount of air coming through. So if you have really bad Sleep apnea pressure needs to be a lot higher. If you have mild, then it can be lower, okay? For someone who's, like, super high, it's going to be better to, like, get as healthy as you can (laughs) before even considering the, like, even, like, weaning that off, right? Um, So, let's talk about that, and then we'll transition to lower use. So, for someone who needs to get, like, metabolically healthy, right? Really, like, like if you were to chunk it down to, like, one thing, it would be really lowering... Whole body inflammation as much as you can, okay? Because that's one of two factors, okay? We'll leave the other factor open for now, but one of the factors is going to be inflammation that is going to reduce or narrow the size of your airway, right? And when we're looking at an airway, if we just imagine like a hole here, there's a very important thing, okay, called mathematics that we need to talk about here. Ever heard about math? I'm joking. Obviously, you've heard of math. <laughs> the amount of flow that can happen through a tube, okay? All right? It depends on the radius of this tube. Okay? If you imagine, like, your circle here, there's a line in the middle, right? And then it goes to the side. That's the radius, okay? The amount of flow relates to the radius to, the, to a power of 4, okay? So that means... We imagine a fraction. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm so sorry. So if you have a fraction, and we go from, like, 1 over 2, let's say 2 is the radius, 1 over 2. If you go to, like, 3, okay, the difference wouldn't be, like, you went up by 50%. That would not be the difference in flow, even though the radius increased by 50%, okay? But the difference in flow would be, well, 3 to the 4th. If anyone has a calculator out here, <laughs> I you need your help, 3 to the 4th minus 2 to the 4th, which I'm pretty sure is 16, when Melinda said in a court of law, that would be a difference in flow of like 5 to 7. I don't have the math on hand, but whatever that would be, if we do 3 to the 4th minus 2 to the 4th, I'm just going to go ahead and do that here just to maintain my mental <laughs> Uh That is a difference in flow here. So, let me see here. Do that, that. So that would be... so. As a factor of flow here, okay, stick with me. When the radius was two, if we do it to the fourth, that's sixteen. Okay? If we go to three, again, we increase the radius by fifty percent. Alright? But because it's a factor of four, it's eighty-one. So it's sixteen versus eighty-one here. Okay? Now this was going up on the radius. Alright? If you go down on the radius, it has a similar massive effect. So let's say you go from three to two. As the radius of your airway. You just went from a flow factor, okay, we'll keep it super simple, we're not gonna get into like Passois equation or whatever, but you go from 81 to 16, okay? That is a huge reduction. While I have my calculator here, we're just gonna do, do the math. I knew I should have brought my, my TI 89. <laughs> uh, that is an 80% reduction in flow, okay? Huge. So, bringing it back to why we're talking about this inflammation. Anytime you can bring your airways, like the like the inflammation, because think of a inside of a tube, right? If the walls are inflamed, is the tube gonna be more narrow, or is it gonna be wider? It's gonna be narrow, your radius goes down. And then the flow through that is gonna go way down with it, okay? All right, so it all, all sank in, That's all good. Uh, so that's why, in terms of when you're super high demand, you wanna be lowering inflammation first, okay? Um, and, and, basically, you know, there's a, I mean, there's going to be a lot of different factors that drive this, right? It's like, you know, what someone talks to, right? Like, well, where, <laughs> what's going on? What kind of symptoms do you have? Like, that's where you need to look at a lot of these holistic things, like nutrition, uh, your routines, environments. Uh, those are typically the, the big three we're looking at in being able to identify like, what are the big things that are driving inflammation as individual, so that they can get the mo- they can get more out of their airway before addressing the second factor, which, which are breathing patterns there. So, I know that was a lot. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, it's all good. I love it. Um, yeah, it makes total sense because um, when I was really sick, I was having like a, a bit, you know, feeling congested all the time. And I was you know, going to, uh, getting intranasal balloons, trying to open it up, which I actually think that the balloons can be, uh, pretty effective actually, um, for certain people. But since I had so much inflammation from the mercury and the aluminum and the different heavy metals and, uh, parasites and infections I had, it didn't really like, it would feel good for like a week. And then I would have to try to go back and every couple of weeks. And, um, after a while, my, even my balloon guy was like, I don't think you need any more balloons. So I was like, okay, let me keep digging deeper. And then as I basically like what you said, Lowered the inflammation by lowering the toxin load, I actually can breathe pretty much better than I ever have been able to in my entire life, I feel like, which is kind of wild. So I do definitely agree that the the flow is definitely going to depend on inflammation, whether that's coming just from diet and lifestyle or toxins or whatever it may be in, in that specific scenario. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's, it's a huge thing because people like people when I when I tell us that people will sleep apnea, I mean, they're like, shocked and amazed like oh man it's such a I'm like it's, it's not really that big of a, a like a, a groundbreaking thing because like everybody already knows this like like let's say pollen allergies you know that maybe affects your like the the radius by like i don't know 0.1 centimeter mm-hmm. but boy oh boy can that make like the whole day miserable trying to... <laughs> but we don't think twice about like well, whether it's, uh, let's say, gluten, seed oils, like nutrition-wise, like environment mm-hmm. oh, like that will also have an effect and it becomes very additive, okay? So like the more we're able to, because when we're going over these things, kind of the way we triage it is like, okay, what do we need to remove <laughs> first? That that becomes a little bit easier. Um, and, and then like, you know, whether it's adding things in to help, like, you know, instead of like seed oils, like, okay, let's make sure we're having like enough omega-3s, right? Anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you're doing on that side to get to a point of where you know it's it's more appropriate because because you can optimize breathing and all that right but if you don't like really lower inflammation it's like optimizing an engine when the car's on fire right like (laughs) what are we doing here so that's that's a huge part of the approach
0: yeah that makes uh total sense how much do you think speaking of those balloons this kind of just popped in my mind how much do you think that like um, facial structure plays a, a role in how you know like Weston a price you'll see you know they'll go to the indigenous tribes and they' they've been eating these whole food diets and um, you know lots of raw dairy and different things and they have you know just wider facial structures in general where all their teeth can grow in where you can just see their noses are wider do you think that the nutrition deficiencies over generations and how our facial structures kind of are narrowed a little bit play a role in sleep apnea so nice. <laughs> it,
1: it, it's a it's a huge part because most of the because again with this tube and a human it's not just a straight tube like a straw right there's going to be like okay you have the the initial oral cavity the back of the mouth the throat you know, all these different pieces here so the first one's obviously going to be you know your mouth your oral cavity so whether like if you have a overbite which is super common okay, that's going to really close, that's going to close down the tube. okay, going to hurt flow. alright, if you have a narrow arch, okay, because I mean, like the, because like, the, arc, the the roof of your mouth is, is what I'm referring to here, because um, when Western A. Price, like all the pictures of people, if you've seen it or not, um, like, you know, they have like the really big smiles, like the, the sort of more prominent cheekbones, um, that's going to be sort of embryologically <laughs> coming from a more wide arch or palate at the top of your mouth there okay so that's another big area we look at uh, and then also based on that that will then determine where your tongue goes okay because you want to think of your oral cavity it's like a shoe okay and then your tongue is the foot all right if the shoe is too small, where it is where you try to put your foot in it. Where's the heel going to be? It's going to be kind of like awkwardly on the back of the shoe. Right. So in the oral cavity, if like the mouth, the facial structure is too small, where's the, the heel or the back of the tongue? Where's that going to be? It's going to be back in the airway. Right. So that's why the, a lot of the approach around that, whether it's uh, doing certain exercises to help, like based on someone's like where they're at with their facial structure, uh, being able to help with those pieces there and also, you know, get the tongue into a better position. Um, it is really key to make sure like the opening of the tube, so to speak, isn't the limiting factor.
0: Pardon the interruption. I want to take a quick break to talk about gut health with all of the research coming out over the last decade. We know exactly how important the gut microbiome actually is for our overall health. If you're anything like me, then you have struggled with tons and tons of gut issues. I grew up on a lot of different antibiotics. As I got older, I did a lot of partying, drugs, alcohol, standard American diet, yada, yada, yada. Fast forward, I had chronic mold toxicity in line. After that, I really couldn't get my gut to function properly. I spent tons and tons of money on different kefirs, yogurts, probiotics, different things that really didn't seem to work. That is until I found Just Thrive. It's a 100% spore-based probiotic that arrives 100% alive in your gut for maximum impact. It has a thousand times better survivability versus other leading probiotics. It helps support digestive, immune, and total body health. For me, it really helped to beat bloating, gas, constipation, and diarrhea. And it is even clinically proven to address leaky gut in just 30 days. So what I do is I take two caps with my largest meal and it really helps to improve nutrient absorption as well. And they are backed by 100% money back guarantee. So for if any reason it doesn't work for you, no questions asked, you can get a refund. If you wanna try out Just Thrive Spore-Based Probiotics, go over to Just Thrive Health and use code ITP15 for 15% off at the checkout. If you're anything like me in the health and optimization space you're not only looking for which supplements may make you feel optimal but also different technologies the problem with most technologies on the market is they can really burn a hole in your pocket if you are looking for the most affordable but yet yet highly effective technologies that help promote detoxification better sleep mitochondrial function immune function look no further than therisage I have their portable infrared sauna and I am willing to put that sauna against any other sauna on the market. It heats up quickly, I get an amazing sweat. I've been in some of these really, really expensive saunas and I prefer my Therasage sauna. The new addition that I have in my home is the Therasage PEMF mat. This is a game changer. A lot of people who are dealing with chronic illness and autoimmune conditions could really benefit for at-home PEMF. When you're trying to do PEMF out at a clinic, it can charge like 30, 60, sometimes $100 per session. Therisage has just dropped the most affordable PEMF mat on the market. You can use it daily. It has a tens mat, it has red light, it's a heating pad. My wife is absolutely obsessed with this thing. It has just brought more energy, mental clarity, and all around overall well-being. I gave up my morning meditation recently and just started laying on the PEMF mat. It's such a great addition to have that with the sauna. The PEMF will help you to release a lot of the toxins and then you can sweat those out via the sauna and you will just feel rejuvenated. So if you wanna try out any of the Therasage products, you can use the code kaufman 10 I will link to their website in the show notes. They have the most amazing, affordable technology biohacks on the planet yeah that popped right in my mind it was make makes total sense with the uh, just overall the airways being narrower and then you add in the inflammation from you know just modern lifestyle and diet and toxins and then you you know like you said you even mentioned mold that was probably when i couldn't breathe the most i was living in a moldy place that's when i first kind of completely shut down i already had some symptoms and then i moved into this moldy place in florida and i didn't know and I just felt insane. Like everything just from there, I was just like collapsed, like burnt out, fatigued. I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't work out. I couldn't do anything. And so how much do you see mold come into play with people who have sleep apnea? Mm. Maybe
1: like mm, 45 to 60%. I don't
0: know why. Oh. With like that. Wow. That's, that's actually a lot. <laughs>
1: the well it's on our radar as a possibility of those people as a possibility i would say like a smaller percentage or like this is the number one thing we need to address like maybe like less than five percent um because like you said because a a lot of what we're doing when when we're working with people is like okay uh here's all the like the the 30 factors right but like like you said like maybe they just moved into a place like oh it's more okay well Yes, you may need to, uh, practice mindfulness to reduce your, your nervous system, but also we should probably do something about like you breathing in toxic mold every single second. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, definitely less than 5% that like, that's kind of a top tier thing that becomes a high priority early on. Um, but it is a big factor. Not only like mold also really, I mean, that's just, that goes in the bigger category of air quality, right? Um, but mold it can definitely be a high, because it not only is it going to narrow airways, but it's going to be systemically inflammatory as opposed to like, you know, yes, uh, volatile organic compounds or VOCs, other things like that. Those aren't great for you, Um, but mold can be pretty destructive.
0: Yeah, I mean, living in Florida. The
1: other funny thing is the CPAPs, if you don't like dry it every night, it will also begin to grow mold within it. So if it wasn't a problem,
0: yeah, it's a lot of problems. People don't realize with just like coffee machines and different um, devices that have water in them that you can't basically take it completely apart and clean it anyway. Um, those things tend to harbor some mold for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then if you're already sensitive and you're already toxic, then you'll, that'll be more of an issue for you than someone else who doesn't have as much going on. But if you, if you're using a CPAP, you probably already have some inflammation going on anyways. Cool. So, let's go back to the, like, um, we didn't, we kind of touched on some of the diet facial structures here. What about, you know, if someone is using that CPAP and you're maybe trying to lower pressure or get off, let's get into that part. Yes.
1: Yeah, let's go. We, we opened that loop. Now we're
0: that
1: <laughs> part. Okay. So, remember, loop one was, like, it's very, like, inappropriate to even talk about coming off CPAP on two days of things, right? Now, let's say you're within range, okay? That means typically um, either you don't quote-unquote need it every single night, or uh, you're at a lower pressure, right? This is where the breathing mechanics are a bigger contributor, okay? Don't get me wrong, like addressing inflammation metabolically, it's still very important, but then breathing mechanics are going to be super-duper important, okay? Now, the problem with sleep apnea, okay, and I'll say this twice because it won't make sense the first time, the problem with sleep apnea is over-breathing, okay? And I know apnea literally means not breathing. So let me explain. So when you lay down and you go to bed and when you fall asleep, okay, a normal healthy person will enter in a reduced tidal volume. Okay, tidal volume is the amount of air that goes in and out with a breath, right? During the daytime, for a normal healthy individual... It's anywhere from, like, 600 milliliters to a liter, okay? Per minute. Not with each breath. Per minute. (laughs) That would be be a lot When you go to bed, that goes down by about 50% in a normal, healthy person, okay? Now, it makes sense, okay? Because air coming in to our bodies is very similar to the air uptake of an engine in a car, Brings in oxygen into this combustion engine to so take oxygen plus fuel to combust it to produce energy. That's exactly what happens in like every single cell of your body. Just a bit more controlled. <laughs> okay? That's what happens in your mitochondria. You take oxygen and you take whatever, you know, glucose, ketones, fatty acids, like whatever you whatever you got going in there, combines that with oxygen, cellular respiration produces energy. Everything's great, right? So, the amount of activity will dictate the requirement of oxygen coming in. So, if you sprint, is your body going to say breathe less or breathe more? It's going to say breathe more. If you go from active to resting, should your body say breathe more or breathe less? (laughs) Breathe less. It wants to scale down the oxygen intake. According to your metabolic activity, okay. This is also why, fundamentally, like a CPAP, where it's just constant amount of air and oxygen becomes a problem, right? Because it needs to be delicately matched. Okay, so that's normal, healthy person. Sleep apnea. What happens is that the rate of breathing, well, not really the rate, the tidal volume, the tidal volume stays the same or goes up. Okay. That's a bit of a problem there. And what then happens at night, because we still need to go from over-breathing to not breathing. How are we going to pull this off? Oh my goodness. So what happens when you're over-breathing, every time you breathe, okay, because, you know, if everyone, you know, everyone's favorite hobby, fluid mechanics, physics, it's just really fun Friday night activity for the family, <laughs> and you have flow in a tube, okay, whether it is water in a hose or air through your throat, there is going to be a sheer force, okay, of air or water, whatever's going through this tube, along the wall of that container, okay? It will pull it in the direction of flow here, okay? So, like, if you were to imagine, like, let's say you... For some reason, put a, a wind turbine in your bathroom that has really bad wallpaper, okay? The wallpaper is essential to this analogy. The, the airflow will start to pull on the wallpaper, okay? And over time, it eventually will kind of like wrinkle it in one direction, okay? Now, in our airways, when you're over-breathing, it will pull these tissues into like the center of your airways, okay? It'll pull it towards each other. So, if you have something that is, like, a a point of restriction, whether it's your tongue, your tonsils, your adenoids, like whatever it is, essentially, it will take it from, like, being kind of close, not a problem, to blocking. Because of that increased tidal volume, more air, and then that just kind of pulls down and blocks it here. Okay? And that's, where the problem comes in, okay? Because now you have now you have two options. Well, I mean, one, you're not breathing. You're not breathing at this point. This is where your body then kind of stops breathing. Gasps for air to kind of blow it open, okay? That's option one. To blow things open, that's what your body does when it gasps for air. That's what a CPAP does. It just constantly keeps things open, okay? The other option is to just lower your tidal volume because if you have a lower tidal volume, then you're not causing this problem, okay? Because let's, just, just easy easy numbers here. Normal healthy person, 500, they're, they're gonna be at like 500 milliliters of air, you know, in and out per minute at night. Let's just say 500, that's a smaller person, but let's just say 500. Sleep apnea could be like 1500, three times as much air going in and out per minute. That's gonna cause that drag, that's gonna cause that block, okay? And when you if you were to look at someone's ventilation patterns, with sleep apnea, it's they're breathing, they're breathing more and more and more, blocks it, breathing goes down, and it just kind of cycles through that, okay? So, then the name of the game is to go from breathing too much at night to breathing, like, just the right amount, okay? And that's where the retraining someone's breathing really comes in, because you can go from, like, over-breathing to sort of breathing just right there, and that allows you to keep the airways open, so then you're not closing in. You're getting better sleep, and then you're able to decrease the pressure and decrease the use of CPAP there.
0: So, how are you, or is it just like the diet and lifestyle stuff that we talked about earlier? Or does that what what's helping get someone get that breathing kind of under control to the where they can lower the pressure?
1: Yeah. So, how you do it is essentially increasing CO two tolerance, carbon dioxide, CO two, because when someone has sleep apnea, they lose, but not really, they don't completely lose it. If you have central sleep apnea, you do. But when you have obstructive, just for the time being, then you have a reduced ability to sense CO2. Okay? And that happens partly because of a CPAP, right? Because if you're constantly blowing air, you don't give your body the chance to, to say to itself, oh, carbon dioxide's a little bit higher. Let me take a breath, right? It, it loses that ability. So you need to sort of retrain that. And how you would do that is essentially just expose yourself to higher CO2 levels. Now, I'm not talking about, like, I don't know, being in a greenhouse and just <laughs> <laughs> you know breathing and respirations. From, well, I guess that would be higher oxygen, but uh, then I guess, a, I don't know, a, a, a cow farm. But... With that, it's, it can be as simple as, like say, box breathing, which is something people are familiar with, right? Where you have a set time, like five-count inhale, five-count pause, five-count exhale, five-count pause. That's like the most basic form of increasing CO2 retention, okay? Because now you have 15 seconds, or 15 counts, however you do it, but 15 seconds where you were having CO2 levels going up in your body. So basically all you would do is then... You know, depending on someone's comfort level and all these different factors, you would increase that time. So instead of doing like a, say like five second inhale and then five second pause, five second, you could do like five, five second inhale, 10 second pause, 10 second exhale, 10 second pause. Now that, that might be a little bit much for someone just starting out, <laughs> but, uh, you would just start to increase the time that you're exposed to CO2 and then over time, then your CO2 tolerance increases so that your body doesn't have to breathe as much. Because here's the thing, the more CO2 levels go up in your blood, okay, this actually causes vasodilation, okay, which then allows more oxygen to get to more places, okay? But when you don't have the proper amount of CO2, these blood vessels don't dilate, Okay, and then there's still like oxygen deprived areas. So, what does your body say? Breathe more. Okay, so it's a bit counterintuitive, but if you increase CO2, that allows more oxygen to get in, so you become a more efficient breather. Right, you get more oxygen out of any given volume of air, which is exactly what you want to happen (laughs) when you're breathing too much, you become more efficient. And then you reduce that drag part, and then your airways remain open. So it's about, you know, yes, you can do it with box breathing. Uh, cardiovascular exercise can help with that as well. But, I mean, really, the whether it's box breathing or other forms of CO2 retention uh, that are done appropriately, really, over time, that will start to help improve the breathing issue at night.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, my wife's a yoga instructor and uh, we host retreats and we, we like to do breath work. Um, I don't do it as often as I'd like, been kind of busy lately, but um, that's more intense. But that could be another way that somebody could get into like Wim Hof breathing if they worked their way up to that, right? And that would definitely, that's increasing CO2 dramatically, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, the, so the, because um, as you know, like every sort of breath work activity is like a tool to accomplish a certain outcome. And one of the things you got to be really conscious of someone sleep apnea their sympathetic nervous system is like like through the roof mm-hmm. I, I mean if i showed up at your house and i woke you up like five times a night like your sympathetic nervous system would be through the roof would also right. be with me. but <laughs> the, why is he doing it uh it's to prove a point mm-hmm. uh, so when doing the breathing exercises uh, they had to be um, effective enough to create the effect right but also gentle enough to not overdo uh, the nervous system uh, activation, and um, you know Wim Hof breathing and uh, other. I don't want to say intense, but more. Uh, I guess Wim Hof breathing can become intense,
0: but like that's you know, definitely you know, intense. He might yeah, pass out.
1: They can overdo the nervous system. I was
0: gonna say like Kundalini. I was like, but there are there are other breath works that are a little bit more gentle. They kind of bring you in slower, and they're you know twelve minutes long or twenty instead of like Wim Hof is like trying to shift your state like instantly. Basically, you're hyperventilating pretty much. So I wouldn't start there. But yeah, that makes sense with the nervous system and then working up. But there's an app I'm actually supposed to do an interview with the guy. I just need to reach out to him. Um, Travis he has a breath source app which I think is really great um, because. it has like 3 minutes, 5 minutes, you know, it's for like busy people and some of them are really gentle and i think maybe someone could start with something like that instead of trying to go full out Wim Hof, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: deep sea diving Wim Hof, uh, be a later <laughs> stage. But uh <laughs> i like
0: three these yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um so what would be an um Something that may come up for somebody if they just said, you know what, I've been using the CPAP forever. I hate it. And they just went cold turkey. Now, could they have some issues um, there as far as like, you know, getting really sick or, you know, what what would happen if someone just came right off the CPAP without decreasing the pressure and trying to get metabolically healthy?
1: Mm-hmm. So, it depends. Like If someone's like really high, like, I mean, I mean, sudden death is always a possibility. I don't want to discount that. I wouldn't really be doing my job. Uh, And then it will really cause systemic metabolic issues. Because every time you have that suffocation, which the scientific term is intermittent hypoxia, okay, Uh, or IH, if you want to sound really cool. Uh, But every time you have IH, this leads to a lot of systemic issues, okay. Uh, Your blood vessels are going to constrict, your blood pressure is going to go up, and then, you know, that's going to be really hard on your heart, right? Uh, you're also not going to go as much blood flow <coughs> to your brain. You know, that's kind of important. Uh, it's going to cause a lot of issues if you have other metabolic problems, with diabetes, autoimmune, uh, arthritis. It's going to make those far worse. Okay, so that's why like coming off of it, if you have high reliance, is not a good idea. Yeah, by any stretch of imagination, coming off of it, if you're out of like a lower dependence, uh, it can still cause some. Yeah, it will still cause some issues, but it won't be as pronounced there. Now, you won't necessarily, like, um, unless you're, you know, addressing the inflammation, retraining your breathing, like, you won't, like, spontaneously get better just because you stop using it. Um, It's not like when you stop using your crutch and then you strengthen your foot that you broke, right? It's not like that because you need to be able to do those other factors to allow your body to be in a better place to use air, oxygen more efficiently.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. I guess the more the more you're dependent on it, the more, you know, if you come off of it, you're going to see more of those issues arrive. I wanted to get into um, like, I know we talked about the CPAP kind of tracking a little bit. Do you like any devices as far as like aura Ring or Whoop Strap, anything that's like measuring, you know, blood oxygenation or sleep cycles, anything for data tracking while you're trying to get people off or just while they're um, have sleep apnea in general? The,
1: so, if someone's like doing it by themselves, I think those are good relative metrics, and what I mean by that is I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't bet on the absolute value of those things, like a like a like a score of eighty-eight is a score of eighty-eight. Always go with the trends with sleep trackers because there's there's always gonna be inaccuracies. Just go with trends. Um, those can be helpful if someone is uh, judiciously you know, having interventions that they had given an appropriate amount of time and then they go to the, like (laughs) they're helpful in in that sense. But you know how people are just like 30 different things at once (laughs) uh, sort of deal here. But as long as that's being judicious, uh, I like order ring just because it it has a little bit more on the auction side. Uh, The ones that rely predominantly more on uh, movement as one of the main sensors there, which uh, Fitbit does more of, uh, those are gonna be less helpful because it's just really the, the oxygen levels are super important or any sort of metric of sympathetic activity like an HRV score that an order we can give you uh, is helpful on a relative basis in, in seeing trends over time. When we're working with people, initially we don't really need those things because like kind of the first phase, like we're just we're just putting out fires, okay? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I, I know, I know it's gonna improve. You, you can track it if you want to, but like, you know, I, these things are gonna be the first things we need to work on. Uh, but as we're more like sort of strengthening and solidifying where they're at, uh, those can be helpful over time to really identify those pieces. Uh, but in the beginning, they're, they're not super important, I would say. When, when under R, super.
0: Yeah, do you like uh, you mentioned oxygen a couple times? I know there's kind of like pulse oximeter readers and things like that. Anything is does you sound like CO2 and oxygen makes a uh, plays a big role with uh, sleep apnea. Do you like any any of those kind of devices that are measuring the oxygen?
1: Yeah, so those would those would be the use case would be to monitor adverse events as opposed to tracking improvements. Does that make sense? So like, Mm -hmm. uh, because like, let's just say there's a line in the sand. Like if you go below eighty percent saturation, that's bad. Okay, just we'll keep it super simple. If it goes below that like ten times per hour, you know, obviously you want to reduce that. Now, if you're at eighty-eight percent versus like ninety-two percent, that's not gonna really indicate any big shift or difference, because like your option saturation is not your high school chemistry exam. Like the goal is not to get one hundred, like there's really not a big difference between like ninety-five <laughs> this is like ninety-seven. So It it, it's it's more to monitor the reduction of negative issues as opposed to like oh I got a hundred honey let's (laughs) let's (laughs) accelerate
0: yeah that makes total sense all right one other thing uh, I wanted to get into which I think probably ties into this somehow some way um, is another big uh, topic that you love to talk about is uh you know when I first started following you your name was optimal circadian rhythm and I feel like that's got to be a big deal when it comes to sleep just in general, because you're getting the morning sunlight. I don't know if you're, um, if you're worried about grounding with that or not, but um, what is like, you know, uh, getting optimal circadian rhythm and how important is that with the sleep and sleep apnea? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, with the circadian rhythms, because yeah, we like, I mean, the Instagram channel used to be like, optimal circadian health and everything (laughs) is like, most people can't spell circadian rhythm, which I don't blame them. Um, (laughs) The the funniest was always optimal curcumin health. I was like, (laughs) close, close.
0: A little off, Uh, but close.
1: Cicada cicada health was another one. Um, But yeah, so with your circadian rhythm, because especially with sleep apnea, I mean, okay. Overall for human health, like circadian rhythm is a very, very important factor. This is why everyone who's on night shift, you get paid more because insurance companies know you're going to die a lot sooner, so let's kind of avoid future losses, just pay you more. That's part of the agreement, okay? Check the contract. So with that, uh, it's especially even more important sleep apnea because anytime you're not sleeping well, your circadian rhythm is going to be wrecked, okay? Absolute matter of fact here, okay? And when that's off, that's going to reduce the sleep quality again, right? Because your melatonin is timed, it has a time to release naturally not because you take a time to release pill um, and then also during the daytime if you don't have a good circadian rhythm cortisol is not going to go up in the morning like it should mornings are really hard right you don't uh, produce cortisol at the right time so it doesn't like have that you know good like sort of carryover effect throughout the entire day so you're crashing at, like three four five pm you hit the wall and then of course everyone's favorite between like six and 9 p.m well i've been tired all day where the heck was this energy that's what will happen um, so yeah, being able to have a good solid rhythm is super, super important. Uh, and just to really briefly define what that is, uh, I think the simplest definition is it, it's your body's internal timing. Okay. When am I going to do certain things? Okay. When am I going to release cortisol? When am I going to be hungry? When am I going to be, uh, mentally active? When am I going to like, it it, 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 determines the best timing of that. Okay. Because there is a the best timing with everything that goes on in your body because, As a, like, let's just go evolution, let's go on that. The name of the game is to make sure you're matching your internal activities with what is going on outside around you, okay? There is a reason a nocturnal creature, like a mouse, is not active during the day, okay? Well, there's a few reasons. They're called cats hawks okay because <laughs> if you're a nocturnal creature that's accurate in the day you're you're lunch okay they're going to come and get you that's the wrong time to be accurate okay extreme example but it just illustrates the point so for humans who are 99.9 percent diurnal daytime animals and like for anyone who thinks they're a night owl out of a thousand people who think that like one or two of you're correct hate to say it burst your bubble there but um, yes i guess evolutionary there, there, there's an advantage to having one night out on the tribe but yeah it's, it's probably not you
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, so watching netflix or scrolling through instagram uh unless you're looking at my instagram of course uh at night it does not count as like time activities but with circadian rhythms yeah so like you want to be able to I, I think even different phrases so you first you want to set it up for the day and that's when like if you're getting you you're, you're doing what I'm not doing right now, or what we're all doing. You're outside. Hopefully, whoever's listening to this, you're outside. Natural sunlight goes in your eyes, tells your brain, hey, it is the morning time. So let's do the morning stuff, right? Let's produce cortisol. Let's lower melatonin. Let's uh, you know, let's start to produce dopamine and serotonin so we can concentrate on things. Let's do all the daytime things, okay? So being able to like get outside... Uh, the, and different things is why I want to, like, use this analogy as a clock. Your circadian rhythm is a clock, okay? There are a lot of different ways to set this clock, okay? Light is one of them, all right? When you eat is another one. When you're physically active, that's another one. And those are typically the top three. These are all known as Zeitgebers. If you want to sound really cool, Zeitgeber it means time giver in German, I have no idea why circadian literature is obsessed with German terminology. (laughs) Don't ask me. Uh, Actually, it's probably because the initial prototype studies were done in Munich. Well, Hmm. now we know. But anyway, so so one of the biggest things with grounding in your circadian rhythm is that our bodies will shift, well, they sense the shift. They sense the shift in the Earth's magnetic and electric fields, okay? Now, before you feel this is all like woo-woo, Kachou, uh, this is based on the, the photoelectric fact uh, discovered by Einstein, who I, I think was a pretty smart guy. And essentially, when the sun hits the earth, it'll cause electrons to move, all that good stuff. Uh, and this will shift from a magnetic field predominating during the nighttime to more of an electric field. Okay, Our skin picks that up because on our skin, we have these voltage gated receptors that will then signal to our sympathetic nervous system, to our brain, to our circadian rhythm center, if you will, in the super nucleus. So that's how granite can be a, a big part of it, okay? Like setting things up in the morning. Uh, and then once you set things, basically the name of the game is like not messing it up, which will happen <laughs> mostly at night, right? Like, hey, 9 p.m., let me watch whatever on uh, like full blast blue light that's telling my brain it's noontime right kind of messes up and, and disrupts the nighttime signal there and then as you get those two factors right like setting it and then like setting and not regretting is what i'll <laughs> call the nighttime one uh, that allows you to have a better circadian rhythm more melatonin at night deeper sleep and then your body starts to heal lower inflammation all those good pieces
0: yeah, that makes sense. Do you like um, the any of the blue light blockers or anything for nighttime for people? I found that they actually they work. I haven't used them in a while, but I should get back on them. They when I whenever I do use them, they seem to work really well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like the whether they're yellow, orange, or red, whatever someone's gonna actually wear because people are like I don't want like to. <laughs> okay, well, do you want to sleep well or not? I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are those are super super effective there uh, because. I mean, unless someone subscribes to, like, okay, I'm going to not, you know, have any light here, which is rare. Uh, You want to have something to definitely protect your retina at night, especially when, you know, it's the the shorter time of the year, right? You know, November, basically, to to March is when people are, like, at least in the more northern places, it's like, wow, where's the sun? That's also going to be more exposure to artificial light. So whether it's you're using yellow, orange, red, um, if you want to be able to have something in place to reduce the amount of blue light that's disrupting your circadian rhythm. At night.
0: Yeah, that, that makes uh, total sense. And how how much time do people need to spend in um you know in the morning outside? Typically, I've heard fifteen minutes, ten minutes. You know, what what's optimal there?
1: It it really depends because if someone has a good rhythm already, because you kind of build circadian momentum is what I refer to it as. Like, say for instance, me right. I've um, are doing this to long to going outside a long, long time right uphill both ways to school and like it doesn't take much for me to kind of set my rhythm because it already has good momentum here like a like a like a plate on a stick okay get it going right now if someone's just getting started yeah you'll need more time uh, the weekends are a good time to get more of that morning likes and know a lot of people like you know they're already off to work in the morning okay cool if you can you, you just peek your peek your head outside for like a minute or so yes optimal maybe 10 minutes for you but let's just kind of get a few spins on that plate and then like on the weekend kind of set yourself up in a better place to like have more of that morning time the circadian rhythms uh, it's not just a one-time thing right because you're setting a clock okay and over time it becomes less accurate right but if you set it really well then it kind of carries over the next few days so that's why like you know Cause I know, like, as humans, we get into these like fallacies around our health. Like, well, I already ate one cookie. Let me just eat the whole bag, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Like, you like, it's <laughs> Um
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I I think people think I'm weird sometimes. I like if I if I'm rushing around in the morning, I just like I roll my window down and I'm like letting the sun come in if I can, or if like I'm dropping something off at the post office. Like I have a supplement company, I'll just like stand out in the parking lot for like ten minutes because I'm like whatever. It's just the sun's here, it's out, and I'm just gonna get it wherever I can. Just pop. You know, whatever I can, I'll take my shoes off and I'll be grounded, just kind of standing out there. People are like, "What the hell? This guy's insane!" And I used to in my old neighborhood walk on this like patch of grass that was open and people would be like what's this guy doing he's got no shirt on he's <laughs> like he's walking around no shoes on no shirt just i was like yeah i'm grounding and then every once in a while people like roll on their windows like you're grounding aren't you you're getting sunlight and grounding i'm like yeah so i think it's you know more and more people are seem to be waking up to it because it, i guess someone uh, popped their head out the window and ask me if that's what i'm doing every once in a while
1: i, I hmm. it was funny I went, uh it was a long time ago but i went it was a family vacation in maine uh and I would go for the whole trifecta. It was, uh, uh, what was the name of it? Park Harbor. That's a place, I think. Uh, super cold water. And it just blew my mind because it was in, I think it was in July. And the sun would be up at like 440 AM. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, okay. And I would go out there and there was this one spot. You could be in the water, so like super grounded, right? Cause that's the most conductive, And the sun will come up right up. And, like, some people would be out there walking, um, and they're like, what are you doing? And at first I would explain, but then I got really tired of it. Um, so I just pretended to be, like, a, like a Norwegian uh, thrill-seeker, like, oh, water, cold, food, good for health. <laughs> um, but, yes, it's, it's very beneficial for your rhythm.
0: Yeah, for sure. Do you like any of these like technologies? You know, if, if anyone is working a little late, um, like grounding mats on the sheet, I, I found pretty good benefit in my, just in my personal self with uh, I plug them into a dirty electricity filter. So I, I've kind of done some research around the if the dirty electricity could potentially come out and have some uh, negative effects. But I plug mine into green wave filters and I have the ultimate longevity. Like I have a pad underneath my desk here and I have one on my bed. Have you seen any benefits with uh, kind of shifting circadian rhythm? with those
1: uh, shifting a rhythm uh yeah so for <laughs> if you're using it specifically to do that yes but i i would say plugging into the earth is going to be the best unless you're willing to get an oscilloscope and make <laughs> sure that the grounding system to your, wherever you live is absolutely clean if you're in a condo situation i mean it doesn't really matter if you're a condo or at home um, more often than not there's going to be lots of wiring issues and uh, i wouldn't even uh Advocate for, because, you know, yes, there's marriage to uh, Green Wave, Stetsu, these different filters, but uh, essentially what those will do uh, is shift the problem elsewhere, if you will, because it'll take the high frequency bands of dirty electricity, and we just took like a 180 degree on, on the specificity of this, but I love it. Uh, <laughs> it'll t- it'll take the high frequencies and kind of move them down to the lower frequencies there. So the, the, deep, the dirty electricity. Is still there? Uh, it's just being transferred elsewhere. Okay, um, so I would just go with the Earth on those. And when you do that, and if it's a low ENF environment overall, then it, it'll be have a lot more beneficial effect. Because otherwise, sometimes you can run into some issues.
0: Mm, that makes total sense. Um, anything last thing you want to touch on about circadian rhythm before we jump off here that people should know about when trying to optimize?
1: Ah, Circadian rhythm. Um, I I would just say that the number one thing someone should do, I mean, just have a set time to put that darn cell phone away. Yeah. (laughs) Like, because that, like, yes, we can talk about blue blockers, but even if you're wearing those, that thing's in your face. It's still light, it pulses, uh, it has all these different effects, even if it's blocked, so to speak. Uh, But whether it's like, I don't know, 7, 8 p.m., Unless you're an emergency responder, first responder person, or if you're, like, I don't know, for some reason you're on call, if you're in the health field, just put the thing away and off, okay? Nothing good happens on Instagram or TikTok or all these different channels past, like, you know, ever, but specifically, like, just, like, 7 p.m., have some sort of cutoff, okay? Uh, Because not only will that reduce the the light coming to your face, your skin, uh, because here's the thing, even if you block your eyes, you know... There's still nerves on your skin that are going to be hooked up to your brainstem, and if those get excited, okay, like it doesn't almost even matter if you are wearing blue blockers or not, right? Uh, and also the mental stimulation. So after a certain point, just like cut it out. Uh, I would say put it put it away. You know, humans have gone without cell phones for like you know at least a hundred years. I would say, if not hundred million.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that that food timing for sure i try to not eat you know a good two to four hours before bed and then uh trying to limit the you know the mental stimulation and the light for sure definitely can help but awesome man this was great thanks for so much for coming on the show why don't you tell everyone uh where they can find you know the book the youtube channel the instagram anything that you want to plug here
1: yeah so uh yeah, Instagram. Whether it's a uh, Petkus MD, which is super easy to spell P E T K U S, not P E T K I S, but U S. It's Lithuanian. Uh, Petkus MD would be Instagram. Uh, we have a Facebook group. It is uh, I should know the name of my Facebook group. <laughs> Sleep Apnea Solution. It has a longer title: Sleep Apnea Solution, uh, Natural Way to Get Off the CPAP by Me, Dylan Petkus MD. Uh, that's a great place. Both of those will also have. Uh we have like a what's called profile link where you can access the book there. Um and also like other forms of content, whether it's like short videos, uh I do like episodes in the uh Facebook group there. Uh like on specific topics like uh actually it's funny, we we did do uh, I did do one like the top foods to avoid before bedtime or <laughs> uh uh what what's the one I did recently on like um, what was it? Oh yeah, it, it, it was getting more into like kind of stepwise approach of getting off the of CPAP. Uh, so definitely check that out. There, it's a good place to connect the, the Facebook group, and then uh, it's pretty easy to find the book from there. there. There's the links. Um, those are the main places. Just not on TikTok. I don't. I I post on TikTok, <laughs> but I don't particularly enjoy it.
0: <laughs> Same here. I have like some videos up there, but I'm not too consistent with it. I don't really enjoy TikTok either. <laughs> I don't know why. It
1: just sucks you in. It's just like I'm trying to do yeah. my thing. And then like next thing I know, it's like, hey, you want to know how to, you know, cook a a scrambled egg with <laughs> like, yeah, I do And it's just there it goes 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, I think it is a little bit more addicting than the other ones, even though they're all addicting. For some reason, TikTok can grab you out of it. Yeah, I don't stay on it too much they're either. To yeah, that. I think so. You're right. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, we'll have to do it again sometime. Awesome. Of course. Love uh, you. Yeah, later on, brother. Stick around while I close out the show. If you enjoy this show, would you please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review it for me? Also, if you'd like to know more information about Combo, personalized one-on-one coaching with me, or for upcoming retreat information, which I host with my wife, please visit my website in the show notes or DM me on Instagram. My handle over there is at Integrative Matt. Until next time, my friends.